podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guest would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have Melissa Villanueva and Angelo Sepulveda. They are a couple who started a coffee shop, Brewpoint Coffee Workshop and Roastery, with nothing. And in the past six short years, grew it from one shop to a coffee company with multiple storefronts, and now their own book on how to start your own coffee shop. Melissa and Angelo, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Very excited to have you. You've got a fascinating story. You were telling us before we started recording that you guys had only known each other or had been dating at least for six months before you found a coffee shop ad on Craigslist and decided to dive into that. So you guys are obviously go-getters, risk-takers. You have some big ideas. And uh, with that, you've got another big idea here that isn't necessarily completely new, but I love that you're bringing this to us because it's something that you guys have a great perspective on. You'll be able to share it. So why don't you get started and tell our listeners about this idea that you'd like for them to run with. Absolutely. Angela, I'll let you run with this part of it. And then we can kind of talk a little about the behind whys and the business part of it as well. Cool. Thanks, boss. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) The idea that we were talking about is actually a board game cafe. So as you mentioned, we already run and own some coffee shops. We have a good idea how to do the cafe side. And the idea that we have seen kind of in the wild is to pair that with more of like a sit down shared experience with whoever you're going with and having the opportunity to play games together while getting a coffee or getting a drink or getting food and using that as a vector for connecting with the people that you're hanging out with. Very cool. And so the meat of the twist or the new part of this idea is to bring board games and sort of shared community experiences into that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I could give a kind of rundown of what it would be like to step into this theoretical space in our in our mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, before you do that, yeah. I, I do want to add, I love board games. Nice. That's, oh, nice. If I could come out with my ideal Friday night or Saturday, and a lot of my good friends know this, it's going to be a game night. Nice. Have friends over. What kind of game? Cook some dinner. Uh, we play a lot of Pandemic yeah. these days. Nice. Okay. Pandemic Legacy Season yeah, 1. Right yeah. now we're going through that, which is it's a bigger commitment for people who yeah. haven't played a Legacy board game. It's, <laughs> you are committing to at least 12 and potentially 24 sessions that are at least an hour long of the same game. Wow. So, yeah, but it changes uh, over time. That's, the, that's the quirk of it. Legacy games are super fun. Yeah, it changes over time. The tough thing for us was it had to actually rip up some cards in it, which it just feels so like you're taking a one-way path when you're doing that, right? <laughs> yep. just, you're never going to do anything with this game again, which is cool. I love this idea. I want to hear it about how you guys want to manifest it. So, No, I appreciate that. I appreciate I'm going to uh, I'm gonna also interrupt and I'll put a wet blanket on it really quickly. <laughs> and that is just to say... You hate the idea? <laughs> there's a, no, no, no. I don't... I think it's cool too. But actually, I just realizing there's another couple that lives in this town, which is funny. Angela and Melissa live in my town. There's another couple that lives in this town that I run into a lot. I actually had a conversation with the woman in the couple the other day. And she was like, I hate board games. 
I just hate them. I don't get it. Like I want to be doing something productive. <laughs> it just seems like nothing. It's just like a waste of time. And I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Just to bring that up. And sometimes actually this comes up on the show a lot that who are your first customers? Who do you market to? It's come up as a repeated theme. Like you want to sell to the sold a lot when you have a new business idea and then let the converts come on later. You'll probably have a lot more traction that way. But thanks for sharing your enthusiasm, Chris. We can cut out my wet blanket if it's not necessary. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. I think something about board games is that people have an idea in their mind of what it means. But really, at the end of the day, the reason why we'd want to do a board game cafe or the fact that we love board games has a lot to do with why we even like wanted to build Brewpoint. Like, it's all about community. It's all about connection. We like to talk about how Angelo... I I hope you don't mind that I'm mentioning this. Um, So... (laughs) Angelo loved board games from like oh, a really okay, young age, story. never had anyone to play with. Oh, so he, he would buy board games and he would essentially play by himself because he didn't have anyone to play with. And then when he met me, I like had no reference of like, I, I liked Monopoly when I was like in middle school or elementary school. And uh, I was like, oh, I'll play with you. And it was easy for me to be like, hey, like other people should play too. It's not nerdy. It's cool. And we started having like people to play with. And Angela already knew how to play all these board games. And he had all these board games because uh, yeah. all that time that he had accumulated learning them by himself. So you just dominate them all. Do they even come back after that first round with you? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh i lose all the time i lose like 85 to 90 percent of the time for any game i play but if i can amend that story (laughs) it wasn't that i was necessarily playing by myself but no i was trying to learn how to play different games and honestly i mean that was one of the things that i think is a core challenge to this particular model is if you want to have that board game night, like you were talking about, where you want to invite friends over, one of the biggest challenges is the on-ramp. If people don't know how to play or just getting them to be open to playing, like that's always one of the biggest challenges. And so I guess we'll get more into this later. But part of the way in which I've thought about this idea, one of the core things that I would want to address is that onboarding, that intimidation factor or frustration factor or just like boredom factor of, okay, It needs to be set up. Somebody needs to know how to play and somebody needs to teach it. Because generally, once you get into it, people are into it. And unless people are taking it really seriously, mistakes are okay. Figuring out how to play, practicing, making mistakes along the way is all part of the process. But to go all the way back, I'm really glad that you're excited about board games because that's exciting for me. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about how you would see this manifest and how you would enact this idea. I guess I can speak more to kind of the vision for it. And I know Melissa's thought a little bit more about the business model, but to be frank, this has been done. We've visited a number of other places that they've tried a model like this. There's Kingmakers in Columbus, there's Pieces in St. Louis, there's Snakes and Lattes in Canada, and now they're in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Snakes and Lattes is like the big one. They're, They're definitely the most successful so far. And they're all really cool spaces generally. But the things that I've noticed from my experience and not trying to degrade any of the businesses that I just mentioned by name, so it's not addressing them. But the thing that I've noticed is like that on-ramp can be difficult. Like you go in and generally there's a host going to see like, oh, are you getting drinks? Are you getting food? They're going to sit you and they'll let you know the board game library is over there. Feel free to grab whatever you want. And it's very much up to the patron to kind of go and browse this library and know what they're looking for and bring it back to the table and set it up and either learn it or know it and kind of have that shared experience. And in order to 
get those people that wouldn't originally consider this as something fun. So the the wet blanket example is, is a good one. For me, one of the key differentiating factors from the way I'm imagining it is having a more hands-on role of the staff that are serving the patrons and introducing them to it. So a couple of the key differences that I have thought through is a lot of these places you go and they have 100 to like 500 board games on the wall. And it is very impressive. It's like a visual display of seeing all these colorful boxes and all these options in front of you. But unless you're already in the hobby, that's really intimidating. Most people are going to default to, do you have Monopoly? Do you have Scrabble? Do you have Settlers of Catan? Um, Like They're going to look for something that they know and they can kind of dive into. And ideally, at least the way in which I've thought about it is to have a much more limited library of more curated experiences of, let's say, for example, 30 standard games that are always in stock and then maybe like 10 to 20 that are rotating of like the new stuff that's really exciting. And when you come in, having either a technology-driven experience or a person-to-person driven experience where they bring the game to you. And there's a menu available for the games, not just the foods, where if you're brand new to this, you can look at, oh, this is a cooperative game, so we're not competing with each other. For four people, it takes about 45 minutes, and here's like three sentences about how it plays. And then having the ability to trust that either the technology side or the person can bring it over open it up, get it set up and teach it to you so you can get into it and you don't have that pressure experience. And so that's kind of the way I've thought about it. So that it is more tailored, more approachable. And that in also having like a curated library, you know that it's not going to be that they pick the coolest looking box. And actually, this is like a four hour game for eight people that have to know it really, really well. And they just have a, a less enjoyable experience. Now, I'm curious, it sounds like you've seen some other models and I got to believe this has happened already, but Do these game stores make a game out of becoming a part of it? Like it's a game that you earn points or there's some sort of like puzzle you have to solve as you become a member or as you join the club. Did they do that? I feel like that would be a great way to get people engaged, you know? Interesting. I don't know that I've seen anything with like loyalty or memberships or anything like that. Yeah. Can't remember. Cool. Another question that comes to mind, just honing in on what the solution is. Do you anticipate bringing new groups of people together to play a game together? Or is this two people show up at the cafe and you want to give them a game experience that works for them? I think to start with, I would imagine it's easier to focus on people that are coming in that already know each other and having it more advertised and understood as an experience that you can share with the people that you're coming with. Snakes and Lattes actually, when we visited them in Toronto, was a huge first date spot in the city because people would come with first date, second date, like really early in their experience and come in and have a drink and play a game and kind of have their get to know you session facilitated by this set of paper and components in front of them that gave them something to talk about rather than just small talk. Was that you guys first date? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. It was not. No, we did uh, Indian food, right, Waifo? Indian food, bowling, and bubble tea. Yeah. Yeah. The great combination. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> the thing that comes to mind is for me, I guess I'm picturing like even as simple as a whiteboard. And I'm coming back to this idea of if I wanted to show up at a night like this, I've played a lot of board games. I'm in already. You don't have to convince me to do this, but I still have never gone to 
spot like this, despite encountering them in Manila, there was one within walking distance. It's still kind of intimidating and you sit down and you're playing a game and it feels like you're just doing what you would do at home, except out in public. And yeah, I, I don't know. There was something about it that I couldn't get into it to do that. So I wonder whether there's a bigger audience of people like me who already buy into board games are fun and they just haven't figured out a way to play them in public in a space like this, or if it's the people who maybe haven't had a good experience with board games yet. Do you have a sense for which group may be bigger? Wifey, I think this one's on you. Yeah, well, I, I tend to think that it can be a pretty wide demographic. I think anyone who'd be interested in doing like an escape room or a murder mystery party, or I mean, even beyond that, it's just because games can be tailored towards kids, it can be tailored like to a pretty large demographic of people. I think it's all about how you format it. So I personally think of three different like formats for how a board game cafe can work. Maybe like three different ways that we'd present it. So one was the way that Angela was talking about of you come in with your friends, you grab a table, you get like drinks and food and you have a board game that either someone is teaching you or there's some sort of technology showing you how like step by step how to play the game. Another format is like maybe that in that same space every night at seven o'clock, anyone can come in and join in on a game. So if you are solo and you want to come in and play a game with other people then you can join in at seven o'clock every night and know that you don't have to know anyone. You don't have to bring anyone. You can just go, come in and play a game. And so that would cater to anyone who wanted to do like, like a bigger joint game with people that they don't know. Another format that I think would be really interesting and would probably lend a little bit more towards like people who are into murder mystery parties or escape rooms is having rooms that like, we're all in right now. That's like a smaller room made for one shots, like RPG games. We just did one with our team called 10 Candles, where it's essentially a role-playing game where you're all playing these different characters, kind of like improv. And you're playing by the light of 10 candles in the dark. And you're in a sunless apocalypse and you know that your character's going to die at the end. But the whole point of it is trying to tell a compelling story together. And if we could have a sound system inside this room uh, and you had like someone DMing the game and it costs like $30 a head and you get dinner beforehand, I feel like that's like another format in which you can introduce maybe not board games per se because there's no board, but like it's another way to have kind of that gaming interaction. And each one of those categories could be more or less friendly to people who are already gung-ho about board games or they want an introduction to it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. It goes along with just making this more of a curated experience, an experience in general. Well, and I tend to think that a space should have all three of those things because the thing that I'm constantly thinking of is how do you have this make money? If people like, especially in our shops right now, we already have board games in our shops. So the people had to pay like $5 to play board games, would they do it? If it had to be $10, would they do it? Because people playing board games are more likely to sit in your cafe for like three extra hours or something of that sort. So you kind of have to figure out the financial model around it. So if a cafe adds, you know, if they have food, coffee, and alcohol, I feel like that would increase some, some sort of revenue. If you had these like one-shot rooms that people could pay $30 a head, that would be really neat. If you had these like 7 p.m. game nights that people pay $10 a head or like maybe even something smaller, like, I feel like all these different ways can make it so it's a robust revenue stream to be able to afford the board games, the technology, the people teaching people how to play board games, the upkeep for the board games, so on and so forth. So it sounds like the price points that we're thinking about per experience or primarily is going to be under $100, probably under 50 somewhere between 5 10 
30, $50 for these various either games or experiences, things like this. Does that sound about right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've uh, seen a few different models. Cover charges are really common at a lot of them where it's like $5 for per person for a table. Melissa and I have talked a little bit about having order minimums so that there's a little more flexibility of not necessarily a two drink minimum, but we're avoiding the cover charge per head. But it's like, okay, well, if you order $10 worth per person or something like that. But yeah, I do think that Pairing with that and kind of going back to what I was touching on earlier, the I think the curated experience associated with the cost does help with making that more palatable for the public. And ideally, the curated experience is what makes it more approachable to a wider audience. So to go back to that question, personally, I feel like the potential audience for people that maybe aren't fully bought in is probably bigger just in general of like the number of people that have never considered it or never really thought of it as a model. Versus people that are into gaming and open to gaming. I feel like right now, most of the places that we've gone to are a little bit more comfortable in that sphere of bringing in people that like, this is a thing that they do. It's a hobby that they share. It's something that they already enjoy. Whereas I'm excited by the opportunity to introduce this to new people. I know that's like one of the most fun things for me. Melissa actually knows this is I love teaching games um, and I love playing games with new people and I lose all the time to new people. I don't always play 100%, but even when I do, I generally lose. And that's really not the fun for me is winning or losing. Like The fun is seeing someone try something that they really weren't sure whether they would enjoy, and it clicks. And we've found, I think we found a few key experiences that have worked for really wide audiences. And that's kind of part of when I talk about like a curated library, instead of having 500 games to choose from, I know these 5 to 10 games are super solid and will work for 90% of people and will make them more open to the experience as a whole. But yeah, the curated role-playing nights is a new idea that I think we talked about yesterday, literally. But that's like my deeper level, like even more passionate than board games. Is I love tabletop role-playing games. But I think the onboarding for that is even more intimidating because people... Even steeper, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm thinking about the competition here. And in past episodes, we've talked about competition, not necessarily as another coffee shop or another bar down the street, but as just a completely alternate activity. In this case, the uh, alternate activity, the one that immediately comes to mind is you playing these games at home. you doing what you're doing, inviting people over. What would make you, Angelo, decide to go to a place like this rather than inviting friends over to your home and and doing what you're doing now? Oh, man. I think there's a couple different opportunities. I think the most honest is sometimes our house is a mess. <laughs> no, uh, I do think that's part of it is like hosting can be a challenge depending on your life, depending on you have kids, how busy your week's been. Hosting can be fun, but it also is an additional commitment that you're making. I think the other part, and this is probably more specific to Melissa and I, is like we love checking out new spaces. Um, anytime we're traveling, we're checking out coffee shops, we're checking out food locations, we're just getting a sense for what people are doing and getting a sense for like what they're trying to bring to the world and what they're focusing on. And that was the reason that we first went to Snakes and Lattes. Like I had heard of them, but we had never gotten the chance to go. And we went and we saw it was like, Happen, I think on like a Wednesday night, it was packed. It was a 45 minute wait to get a table and really popular, louder space. It was crazy. I, I was like, wow, this is actually like they're doing an amazing job. So I think for me personally, the biggest component that would draw me out is getting a sense of like, oh, what are they doing different? Like, what are they trying to bring to this experience and how are they trying to approach 
the, the problem or some of the core challenges are associated with this model. But those are kind of nerdy business owner answers. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. That's perfect lead-in. Let's get into the implementation. What actions do you think our listeners should take? And this would be a good chance for you guys to work in some of the lessons that you've learned as part of owning a coffee shop. So you can talk a little bit about that. Is you know, How would you get this business going on the right foot? There's a couple of things to a couple of different perspectives to give you to think about how to answer that question. So one, you can definitely share if it were you guys and you were going to just based with starting this tomorrow, the actions you would take. And then another way we like to present it to our guests is if some third party that was trying to impress you that they took enough action, that they were serious enough about it, but they were kind of starting from nothing, not with your experience, and they did a few things to get it started, what would be impressive to you where you'd say, oh, cool, I would love to give a mentorship session to them. I would love to maybe even start a business partnership with them because they're on the right track. So you could answer it both those ways or one of those ways. Wifey, can you start? I'll play yeah. off what you say. Um, I think part of it is, is like, so when I think through like even just like starting a coffee shop, one of the first things that I think makes sense to do, even though there's like a million things to do is like really laying out your menu. When you lay out your menu from there, you can like run your numbers and figure out like how to make certain revenue. You can um, figure out what your bar layout looks like and how your shop should look like. And so in my mind, the first step really is like, okay, what are we offering both on the board game side and on the food, alcohol, coffee, whatever side? What is everything that we want to do? What makes sense? And then start plugging away the numbers to make sure that it could be a profitable business. Can I add something to that? Sure. I think one of the other things that goes along with that very early planning stage before you're even open is identifying some of the core either challenges or differentiators between you and your competition. To use an example from our experience, when before we opened Brewpoint, when we were considering opening the shop, one of the core challenges that we happened to identify, Melissa came to look at the coffee shop without calling the owners ahead of time. And I think you came down at like 11, it was midday, and they were closed. I mean, there's no sign on the door, and they're supposed to be open from like 8-3 or something like that. When there was no indication of are they closed today? Are they coming back in five minutes? And essentially, we kind of identified that at least recently, this location is telling its customers, like, you can't rely on us to be open. And something as simple as us identifying that, like, we absolutely need to be open to close 100% um, clear with no hiccups. That was a hurdle that we would need to overcome regardless of the fact that we were brand new. So that's just an example of like identifying some of those key differentiators and challenges that you may tackle. This is also a strategy that's echoed in digital products or, or even physical products. So oftentimes they'll say, go to an app. You want to create an app. You go to the app store. You find an app that has lots of downloads, but a terrible rating. And what do the people say about it that they don't like? And then you go create your own version of that app and just fix all the things people don't like. <laughs> and then you've got yourself a business there. So that's something that actually hasn't come up here. We'll mark that as a nugget, I'd say. But just to say, if you're creating a product, pay a lot of attention or a service or a brick and mortar, pay a lot of attention to the competition of what people don't like or what they're doing poorly or what people are complaining about. It's a great idea. I think the other thing that's interesting about this is maybe a partial counterpoint to what you just shared is since this is such a local-based business, you don't need to completely reinvent the wheel. There are different things that you can add to it, but what Snakes and Lattes is doing is working really well. I'm assuming you're not in one of those locations. You're not in Toronto or uh, Tempe. 
you can replicate something like that in Pittsburgh or in Chicago, right? And make your own tweaks to it as you'd like, but you don't need to be better than snakes and lattes necessarily to be successful in order to get started. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I think from my side, one of the elements of a challenge for that, those starting stages is, of course, how do you get people in the door? And I think there's a couple different models that you could consider. One is bringing whatever the foundational business besides the board games is to the forefront. If it's a cafe, if it's a restaurant, if it's a bar, like making sure that element is accessible, regardless of if they want to partake of the other half of what you're doing, I think can make a big difference, particularly for coffee. Um, if it's a coffee shop, but people are hesitant to come in because like there's 50 feet of board games before you even get to the register. That space is actually a hurdle to people just trying the other product that you're offering. Along with that, what do you think about location? How should someone find the building itself or the property in which they would build this business? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we've seen a lot of different types of models. I think that in terms of like searching for the right location, um, I mean, when we found the original like Founders Brewpoint in Elmhurst, the location was so perfect that it seemed like silly to pass up because it was right next to the train station. It was right next to a college. It was in downtown Elmhurst. There's so many things going for it. But then our newest location, our workshop and roastery, is like in the north side of Elmhurst. And it's like on the side of a building. that, And so you wouldn't necessarily see it unless you're looking for it. But because we've developed enough of a platform, why not renovate a 4,000 square foot loading dock and pay cheaper rent than we would if we were in the middle of downtown? And so I think that like, in my mind, it's if you are new, you don't have a platform, you don't have a brand, I think that it really makes sense for you to try to have a spot that is more like there's a lot more walking traffic. But because something like this, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of value in having a lot of space. I think that if you have the ability, so if you do have the brand and you have the following to renovate a space that maybe is a little bit more off the beaten path, but could be like a really, really cool space and it could be larger and cheaper than I would say, like go for the, like the one that's a little bit off the beaten path. So I think either could work. It just kind of depends on what, like which way you want to go. Yeah. And to add to that, I think that one of the core things that we were very lucky and we learned early on was we started with a turnkey and to have the opportunity to go into a space that was already designed for the thing that we were doing. I don't think we realized how much of a difference it made to us getting off the ground running and getting started and getting open quickly. And so, yeah, I do think for a model like this, I don't know that you're going to find the exact sort of turnkey, but just to add that as an extra wrinkle to, you know, do you have a brand identity? Do people know you? And this is something that you're adding versus are you starting brand new? Figuring out if the space that you're going into is already primed for at least a good portion of what you want to do can make a huge difference to getting open early, to getting open on time, and to what you actually need to spend additional money on in terms of being able to operate. So this is an interesting thing that's coming up too, is that there is a potential for any type of business that you want to start to just go around and see if there's anybody that's already got it going. And maybe they just look, their enthusiasm has just totally dropped or business isn't going so well, but they've got a lot of the equipment that you need. And if either they're for sale, sometimes people put businesses for sale even on Craigslist. There's probably a lot of websites you can visit now to look for businesses for sale. You can also start a conversation with someone if you walk in their business and it looks like they're not as enthusiastic about it. Maybe things aren't running super smoothly. 
are you thinking about selling this? Maybe they're looking for a partner that wants to kind of like take it in a different direction and bring some new life into the business. I think people would be surprised at the types of opportunities that might be out there. And they can go, I think that what's interesting about that specifically is that a board game blank, like cafe, restaurant, bar, it could be any of those spaces. It'd be pretty easy to add board games. Right. But yeah, the kitchen side can be really, really expensive. Question that comes to mind for me is minimizing the the downside of, of doing something like this, of taking a risk. I imagine that getting a lease would be a relatively large financial bet. I wonder how much of that success, this is a question from, I know you like this podcast too, how I built this. How much of that success of a business like this do you think would be dependent on luck or how much of it would be dependent on following a formula like what you outline in your book? So, I mean, we didn't know anything when we started. We were just trying to be as engaged and thoughtful with what we were doing as much as possible. So I definitely think there's a lot of luck involved. And so everything that like I reflect back on is like, oh, like here are things that I wish I did. Not necessarily everything that we did. Because we found such a great location for our first shop, like there were so many things in place that I didn't know where it was a godsend, but it was. I mean, we had $50,000 when we started Original Brewpoint. And that was mostly Angelo's money. And I was like, I guess this is your uh, way of uh, us getting engaged, buying me a coffee shop. Um, and then we like borrowed a little bit from our family. And that's, that's all we had. If, if, we didn't, if we didn't start getting to the green very quickly, we wouldn't have made it. But having that low price along with pretty relatively low rent with the fact that it was like such a perfect location made kind of for this culmination of, wow, this it actually ended up working. I think if any one thing was off, it very easily could have like, we would have been six months in and been done. Yeah. We were very, very, very fortunate. Um, as Melissa insinuated, we didn't really have a plan we were just suddenly excited by this space. Like we went into a space and we were, I think, literally overwhelmed. Terrified. By like, yeah, we were certainly terrified, but overwhelmed by the potential that we saw. And we wrote out that excitement. And I think something that is like really core to our story and our experience with the business that we already have is we had to acknowledge and embrace and let it kind of like influence our decisions is that we had we had the privilege to take a risk like this. We didn't have the fear that if we failed that we'd be completely homeless like we both came from backgrounds where our family could probably help us out for a bit maybe help us find a job and and that privilege was key to taking the leap so i i don't think we we want people to think that like we just figured it out like we were super, super lucky and that's the other side of it as well is that for all the time effort energy blood sweat tears that we put into it all the sacrifices we've made on some level it's always going to be a leap of faith as much as we put in, like now we have a team and a community that have really taken the time to invest in what we're doing and invest in the vision that we put forth. And we're doing our best to lead that well. But that's not always the story. Like sometimes people are doing exactly what we're doing as much as we're doing and it just doesn't fit. So I think I can't give a percentage to the luck versus skill or the, uh, anything like that, but like it, it's certainly a component. And we do our best to keep that in mind, uh, but we are very intentional, um, I think, in the way that we run it now. So if you're looking at something like this, like this idea, I personally feel like the Board Game Cafe idea has a lot of potential, but I think the strength, at least of Melissa and I's position, is we already know how to run the cafe side pretty well. 
And if somebody was coming into this completely fresh, thinking about that revenue stream, what is going to allow me to sustain and eventually grow? It's probably going to be an element of like the things that you sell, potentially more than the experience to start with. And so figuring out where you're focusing and how to grow from there is a core challenge of of this model that we're talking about. I don't know if I would encourage someone to just go out and be like board game cafe or board game bar if they don't already have a sense of like what it's like to run a food establishment, because you're not going to have to deal with any regulations on the board game side. You're going to have to deal with training. But as far as like being actually able to like do things in a, a like a legal and sustainable matter, you have to have some knowledge or ability to learn how to, how to run that half. An interesting little hack I think that people could try, and I'm remembering this. I don't know if you guys do this at Brewpoint, but there was a cafe that I used to go to when I lived in Peru and they had games, you know, they had, and Django was one of the games that they had. It's just, it's just simple little stackable wood game. It's cheap. It's simple, but they would have Jenga tournaments and, you know, they would make a big deal of it and they'd put a sign up and all that, you know, a lot of travelers were around. So it was fun. You could come, you could meet people and they could have this Jenga tournament. I think I actually won a Jenga, one of the Jenga tournaments. I was very surprised. <laughs> Humble yeah, brag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't even remember that I won it until just now. That's like, yeah, I'm even more humble bragging, I guess. I'm so good. I didn't even remember that I won. But, but anyways, you could go to somebody with an existing establishment, a coffee shop, a bar, whatever, and say, look, I've got some fun games. What if, you know, one night a week I come in and I do something cool like a Jenga tournament or I host some kind of event that's game centered and we use that as a way to bring traffic into your bar, restaurant, cafe. And then if you could slowly grow it from there, either that restaurant or bar cafe could turn into your gaming cafe or maybe you can build a partnership with that person, open a new location, and then you've got that person that has that side of the business on their hands and they have that experience. I think that's similar to how trivia nights work, right? Those are independent companies that come in to a a restaurant and then will put on the entire production. So yeah, that model is out there that you can replicate. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. We did a Catan tournament and that that was a, a pretty fun night. Everybody had a good time and we brought in a lot of people. So no, it's an excellent idea. Cool. Thinking back to um, going back one question in New Orleans, I used to live in New Orleans years ago. There was a, uh, a new restaurant that came to town. It's called Ruby Slipper. And it was created by a manager at Shell. I didn't know her directly, but she basically Googled how to build a restaurant, how to run a restaurant, right? And just followed the steps. No ego involved. It's just I'm not going to try and make this up, do what I think is best. I'm going to do what people out there are saying is going to work. So the way that I think about this is if you were to sit someone down, knowing what you know now, I would think that you'd have a pretty good shot at making something like this work, right? Or if someone followed your book, they'd have a pretty good shot at uh, at making this work. Yeah. I know it's hard to put a percentage improvement on something like that yeah. that's a hypothetical, but how do you think about that following a process? So, I mean, there's the process and the formula, but there's also like the person, right? And that's a huge variable to whether or not the process, I mean, the process can make it making up a percentage, but like you're 75% more likely that if you follow this process, you are going to be able to do it. But there's so many different types of people that want to start coffee shops, run coffee shops, run, you know, brick and mortar business. The big thing that I keep coming to over and over again is just like someone who is willing to commit because... The past five and a half years has been kind of a blur of like, 
I'm not really thinking about my happiness or like lack thereof. It's more of this mission that like in our minds, we want to make the world a better place through coffee. So this is how we're doing it. And if I am not responsible over it, this will affect a lot of people. But I I think that a lot of times when people are like, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And this is a great thing to try. At the end of the day, like I do think part of it is, yes, a formal process. But I also think it's just like your commitment to that process and your commitment to that vision, why you're doing it, really discovering those types of things. Because I know that as an entrepreneur, now that I'm an entrepreneur, committing to this was terrifying because I didn't know if I was if this was really what I was meant for. But once I did commit and once we're now that we're five and a half years in, I, like I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I kind of feel that way about like, my marriage. Like Thanks. I didn't know what I was getting into and like I didn't really think about it until like I like really, really committed. And then I was like, I hope this is good and it's been great. So <laughs> Thanks, Mikey. Yeah. Yeah, to to add to that a little bit, I think what so I am more the wet blanket in our relationship than Melissa is. <laughs> but I know that we've talked to a lot of people that want to open a coffee shop. There's something about coffee shops. Perhaps there's something about whatever industry you're in and they're just talking to you about what you do. But I think one of the things that I try to, as positively as I can, kind of like demystify is like there is a very romantic notion around doing something yourself, around being the boss, around being the decision maker, around having that ability to kind of like choose your own destiny and drive it forward. And that is absolutely true. But I think that people have to be be able to engage with the fact that, like Melissa said, it's a lot of work and you're engaged all the time. And if you are not deeply committed to it and not deeply invested in it, it is not necessarily going to grow at the speed or in the way that you want to. For some people, that's okay. Like That's the way they want to run it. We, we don't. And again, I don't ever want to convince someone not to take a shot. But it is important to know that like, if you are running your own thing, at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. And so if you rely on your staff and somebody's sick and they can't come in and nobody can cover that, like at the end of the day, it's going to fall on you. And that, that could also have to do with like orders, whether something's coming in or you're fulfilling something that could come with, with any element of it. And again, that's not to tell people not to try, but sometimes I feel the need to kind of disabuse people of the notion that like, oh, it's like, this magic world is like, absolutely. And you're going to be exhausted, but you're going to be fulfilled. And you'll go through waves. There'll be times where you can breathe a bit more and you really need to take advantage of them. There's times where it's super crazy and you're just going to need to put your head down and kind of get through it. But yeah, I think it's always a balance. But thanks for the compliment. No <laughs> you know, just, just to follow up on that, I think that what I see among people is there's a, they learn a difference, especially in entrepreneurship, between happiness and fulfillment. So it's nice to be happy and it's fun to be happy. And a lot of people have like a cushy job and they've got nice clothes and they're just, they're going to the gym and they, they're like feeling happy, but there's something in them that's like, but what is it? Why isn't it good? Like, I think what it is, is fulfillment. And what I realized is in fulfillment, there can be quite a bit of pain. <laughs> and that's just how it works. But you know, you're doing the right thing, even during the periods of pain is if, if you're still doing it, right. And you're still excited about it. You're just like, why am I doing this? There's so much pain. And it's because you don't want just happiness in life. You know, you want fulfillment. Like you want to feel like you've achieved what you're meant to do. And just, I don't know, like doing something different sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's, yeah, exactly. Like nail on the head. Like I think I've told a couple of people lately that 
when we went from one shop to three shops and then also adding like the roastery and the event space, there was a lot all at once to suddenly become like the CEO for. And so the past two years since we start, like went through that expansion, I like, I didn't realize until the past couple months that I was like miserable for almost two years. And it wasn't until like these past couple months where I'm like really enjoying what we're doing. And it feels like really great that like, I can look at it and be like, man, I was miserable. And I had like no idea I was because I was just so focused on trying to fix it and like make it better and get it to where it needed to get to. And now that I'm in a place of enjoyment, it's like, it's just interesting to like reflect back on that now, because I think that if I like really sat in it, I think that, well, that would have been not very helpful. But yeah, it definitely goes goes and comes in waves. I think it'd be good to leave our listeners with a couple more action steps. If we can come back to that. We talked about a couple of them. Maybe you don't have to go super in depth. I know we've gone on for almost an hour now. A couple other things that you would do in order to get this idea off the ground. Can I throw in, if you have something that's cool, but if you don't on your mind, one thing I was thinking of is pre-selling. So in software and things like that, sometimes products, you have Kickstarter, there's ways to pre-sell these types of products. Even like we have a gym that opened down the street, they pre-sold memberships. People have like condos that they build and you can buy them before it's finished. I don't know if you guys have done any of that sort of thing, or have you thought about that kind of a way to start a new business, like to kind of somehow get people on board to know that they're going to be in it? Kind of like a Kickstarter yeah. or crowdsourcing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've never done it. We've seen a lot of coffee shops do it. So it definitely is something that I think is entirely possible, probable. I think that's for an idea like this, I feel like it makes even more sense because it's so niche that like you would want to know, does this community, like, are they open to this? Or is it going to be a lot of convincing? I do like in terms of location, even for a coffee shop, but I think especially for like any sort of board game cafe related thing, having a college nearby, I think is super important. So yeah, I don't know if that kind of answered your question though. Yeah, I'm thinking of yeah, that, that sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of something like Groupon potentially in terms of like selling that first experience type of thing, a package deal, getting people to be able to try it. I think if you are thinking about doing this because you think the model might work, but you've never played modern board games, I think you need to play some <laughs> just so you get a sense of like what you're actually dealing with, both in terms of what the experience is like, but also the challenges associated with the experience in terms of like first steps, like getting a chance to try a couple core things and, and doing research in the general area that you might want to open. Like what other experiences are available? What competition is blatantly clear and what isn't. Again, the way I've kind of thought about this is like that group experience or that first date experience. And so competition might not be a coffee shop so much as like local dinner spots or the movie theater or something like that. And to go back to what are some of the action steps that we would be looking for, like the three things that come to mind for me is knowing your menu knowing the market so and knowing what location. So if you have a location in mind, if you have like a market that you see in that location that you think would be really good to hit up and then having a menu of what you'd want to offer between like the board games and the food or anything of that sort. So if those three things are in place, that's like a really good starting point to start putting together numbers to figure out if this could be a profitable model for that specific business. Sounds great. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So we're at time here. Thank you so much, Angelo and uh, Melissa, for sharing this idea, for sharing your perspective on not just this idea, but business in general and, and how people can be successful. I think there are a lot of great insights here. Listeners, if 
you're taken with this idea, you love board games, and you want to start a brick and mortar business in your town, then uh, take some action. Follow through on the steps that these guys have outlined for you and email us at update at runwithit.fm. Everyone who responds will gain access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session with Melissa and with Angelo. You can ask all the questions you have about about coffee, about board games, about starting a business, whatever you like. Or you can just play a board game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you can play a board game. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for the time here. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. You can find out more about us at brewpointcoffee.com. You can check us out on Facebook and on Instagram as well. And I will make a little plug. So there's two types of ways we'd want to be involved if you're thinking about a board game cafe. First is definitely through Run With It and some sort of mentoring session and possibly partnership or something of that sort. But if you have a lot of it down already and you're looking for someone to help you on the cafe side, our big expansion right now is helping people do what we've done in Elmhurst through our cafes but helping you do that in your own town. So if you're looking for a coffee supplier, a coffee partner, along with someone to help you on the business support side, we've created a really robust program for our clients. That's coffee, that's business, that's training manuals, and tons of documentation about how to do what we've done in Elmhurst, but in your own towns. So our website people can go to, to find that information. Yeah. So that's all at brewpointcoffee.com. Perfect. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for the conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure and looking forward to connecting again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This is great guys. Thank you. Now it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.